Well, good morning, Mosaic. We are really glad that you're with us uh, on this Palm Sunday morning together. Um, man, y'all look fantastic. My name is Kurt, uh, one of the pastors here, and uh, so good to be together. Um, so how is your life being invited to contribute to the good, the beautiful, the true? Something to pause and think about, right? Um, maybe it took a little bit to kind of figure out what that answer is, you know? We're not often invited to think about that kind of stuff. Um, chances are you could answer much quicker if I were to say to you, um, hey, what do you wish wasn't a part of your life right now? You know, you, this, you know, you could name it right away, you know? Or like, who has annoyed you the most this week and just needs to go away? You know, that person, you could name it. Um, yeah, you know, or just like, what is it that thing that you're like, man, you know what, when it comes to this issue, you know, like if somebody comes to you and says, so how do you feel about this issue? Um, you could be, oh, let me tell you what I think about this issue, right? You could be real quick. Because um, our world loves that kind of stuff. Um, but I tell you, what the, what the soul needs, what the soul needs is something deeper. Uh, the soul needs to discover what, what is it here for and how is the soul shaping just how you use your presence in the midst of the week. And uh, if you call Mosaic your home, um, one of the things that you will begin to discover is that we want to encourage you to go be the person that God has made you to be as you step out into your week. There is some divine gift that he has planted in you and the world desperately needs you to bring that gift. Um, and, and here's the deal. I know that it would be a lot easier, right? Because if you're like me, you say, well, it would be a lot easier to bring that gift if, like, I didn't have these other distractions, if things were easier, you know, if I could just push this out of the way, if I could just see this go away, um, if this thing were just removed, then I could bring that gift um, maybe a little easier to the world. Um, but unfortunately, we're heading into Holy Week, and the example that Jesus reveals to us is that Jesus calls us to really step into the world, the ugliness of it, the brokenness of it, the violence of it, uh, and still bring that gift that you have to bring. I can remember uh, a few years ago, um, as I began to wrestle with this question in my own life, um, what is it that God wants me to bring that's perhaps going to add to the good, the beautiful, and the true? Um, there was this sense that God was calling me to walk, to walk gently on the earth. Um, you know, a lot of people, they want to they leave their mark, right? They want to leave their footprint, make an impact, uh, be noticed. Um, but the more that I strove for that kind of stuff, my soul began to kind of just grow anxious and weary, and I began to ignore just a lot of the beautiful small things right around me because I was so convinced that I had to kind of walk with this heavy footprint and, and leave a mark. And God was saying, just walk, walk gently on the earth, Kurt. Um, take your time. Notice the small things that you can be a part of right around you. Notice all of the insignificant people around you who actually bring great significance to the world. 
as fun as it is to, you know, go be around a celebrity, like, there are really people who carry incredible gifts and ability around you each and every day who maybe aren't celebrated by the world, but you can notice them. You can walk gently. Um, This morning, guys, as we kind of dwell on some Palm Sunday themes, and in particular as we begin to wrap up our series, uh, Ransomed, Why Did Jesus Have to Die? Um, Let me just say this. One of the things that we're going to do is we're really going to spend some time contemplating Jesus' death in a lot of ways invites us to be set free from spending so much of our energy in oppositional ways. What I mean by that is this. um, I oppose this circumstance that's in my life. I oppose this person. I oppose this this thing that's happening around me, right? And, And we spend so much time toiling in those things Uh, that in a sense, they almost gain a mastery over us. Um, And and so much oppositional energy is poured out. I don't know about you, I only have so much energy, right? I only have so much energy. And, And I cannot control so much of what happens around me, people, circumstances, whatever it is. I can't control that. And so I, I don't want to spend so much energy that's already limited trying to control those things. The only thing I can do is move from oppositional energy to invitational energy. Realizing that, that God is doing something in me, God is calling me to some unique path to walk right now, some unique gift of something that's good and beautiful and true that I can bring into the world. And, and it might cost me. Um, and even as Jesus showed, who, who kind of beheld beauty and goodness and truth in the most, um, just the most incredible ways that a person can, um, it might cost you everything. It might cost you everything, but that's all I can control. And so I want to I move from oppositional energy and spending all of that energy to, against people or things, circumstances, events happening around me, and instead like pour all of my energy into what is God inviting me into? Walking gently? Trusting a little deeper? Finding joy in the small things? Finding joy in the unexpected things, things that I didn't expect to find joy in? Uh, moving from oppositional energy to invitational energy. Um, one of the beautiful things about Holy Week this week from Palm Sunday to Easter Sunday uh, is it brings the completion of the Jesus story um, to the present tense. It brings the completion of the Jesus story right in front of our eyes once again. And this is important because the Jesus story often gets distorted as do a lot of things, okay? So let's talk about distortion for a minute because the Jesus story gets distorted. Now, if you're like me, a music lover, you hear the word distorted, you're like, yeah, rock and roll, right, Keith? Distortion, rock and roll. Um, so distortion, yeah, distortion is when you take something that at once kind of was, was pure in and of itself, but you kind of twist it and manipulate it to kind of make it work for yourself. Now, this can happen sometimes on accident. And so actually back in 1951, a musician by the name of Ike Turner. 
Um, you may not know him, but I bet you know his wife, Tina Turner. Um, anyways, Ike Turner had this band, and he was playing. And one time in the midst of their tour, uh, they dropped their amp as they were unloading it from the back of the car. And the cone inside the amp broke loose. And so now the guitar sound that was playing through the amp was no longer a pure sound. But because the cone broke loose, they crumpled up some newspaper. They put it in the amp. Um, and that kind of held that cone in place. But they got this sound right here. You can hear the guitar in the background, huh? So it's got that little kind of scratchy edge to it. So there's distortion, right? What once kind of was pure is now kind of twisted a little bit, all right? And you're like, hey, I can make this work for myself, you know, because in a lot of ways, this was kind of considered Ike Turner's Rocket 88. I know you heard of my jalopy, but now, yeah, you know the song. Um, So anyways, it was kind of really classified as like the first rock and roll song when distortion came in. So what happened on accident, but now people were like, hey, wait a minute, maybe we can distort things and make it work to our advantage. So about a decade later, um, as people were exploring with this, um, a British band by the name of the Kinks, Girl, You Really Got Me Now, they actually took a razor blade and they, they sliced the cone of the amp and they got this sound right here. Go ahead, bob your head. You know you want to, right? Anyways, moving on, moving on. Um, Fun stuff, fun stuff. Distortion, the Jesus story. The Jesus story can get distorted because in a lot of ways we can kind of twist it and shape it and manipulate it to have it kind of serve our needs, right? To have it maybe help us kind of pour our oppositional energy in ways to kind of manipulate and control and get things out of the way rather than really paying attention to the invitational aspect of our faith that's before us. Jesus, um, as he came into Jerusalem on that Palm Sunday, um, interesting kind of twist in the story. Uh, He's welcomed with palm branches. Um, People are laying their cloaks on the ground as he rides this donkey into the town. For many of these people, it was probably the only cloak that they had, and they're laying it on the ground. And you would think that Jesus would be incredibly pleased with this kind of welcome. Um, But Luke, in his gospel, Luke chapter 19, verses 41 and 42, he records for us uh, something that Jesus was sitting with. As Jesus approached Jerusalem and saw the city, He wept over it and said, If you, even you, had only known on this day what would bring you peace, but now it is hidden from your eyes. Jesus reveals to us that even in the midst of this Palm Sunday, there's some type of distortion that's present. In some ways, the story is being twisted and manipulated, right? Jesus had given them warnings that he's actually coming to Jerusalem to die, that, that he is their Messiah now is going to look very different than what they're accustomed to. He's going to accomplish his purposes in a very different kind of way. But yet these people are, are crying out, as we'll see, and they're expecting something different because oftentimes, again, our energy often gets stirred to be this oppositional energy. And so they're kind of expecting Jesus to kind of push away the people, the circumstances, the things that are difficult. Holy Week, it reveals a distortion within much of Western Christianity. 
it is that we care more about winning, winning debates, winning political campaigns, winning institutional or theological battles, winning idea battles, winning people. We care more about these things than we do about simply pursuing the good, the true, and the beautiful. Pouring all of our energy there. And so this morning, let's do this, Mosaic. Let's, let's reimagine um, the Jesus story together. And maybe you've been a part of a, a church tradition where reimagining the Jesus story is dangerous, right? Um, because it's been told to you in one specific way your whole life, and, and this is the purpose of the Jesus story. But reimagining the Jesus story, it's, it's not an act of spiritual rebellion, Reimagining the Jesus story is actually, a, it's, it's an act of deep humility. To say, God, maybe there's more going on here as we allow this story to kind of come right in front of us again. As we allow the completion of the Jesus story to come to our present tense, it allows us to kind of interact with this in a very humble kind of way. Where we can say, Jesus, maybe you're inviting me into more than I anticipated, more than I expected, more than I thought. We've been uh, asking the question, why did Jesus have to die? Why did Jesus have to die? And um, Bill has taken us through some great kind of thoughts and truths as we've walked this path over the last few weeks. And really only one time does Jesus say why he had to die. He came to give his life and to give his life as a ransom for many. And so this idea of, of ransom, kind of being bought back, kind of this idea of being set free from one thing in order to kind of live for another, um, that really Jesus' death is uh, an opportunity to experience a new kind of exodus, that Jesus chose to die at the time of the Passover, which goes back, as Bill kind of walked us through last week, this ancient story that the people of God and, and Jesus' people here in this day and age would have knew well. And so it was at the time of the Passover celebration, this remembrance of when these people were set free from their slavery to truly go and live in relationship with God, to be the people that he's calling them, him, them to be. Um, so this is, this is kind of the time that Jesus chose to come and die. And, and when we talk about the work of God in Christ, um, the word that's used is the word atonement. It's kind of a, a fancy theological word when we talk about the, the work of God in Christ. We speak of the atonement. Um, theologian, writer Scott McKnight says this, the church becomes a community called atonement. Every time it reads the story of Jesus and every time it identifies itself with that story, and every time it invites others to listen in to hear that story. Reading scripture and listening to scripture and letting scripture incorporate us into its story is atoning. So Mosaic, my hope even this week is that you might find some time just to interact with this Jesus story. Let it do its atoning work on you. Jesus, what do you have to say to me in the midst of what I'm reading here? What do you want to speak to me? Another theologian writer, Richard John Newhouse, says this, Atonement 
It is a fine, solid, 12th century Middle English word, the kind of word one is inclined to trust. Think of at one mint. What was separated is now at one. What is separated is now at one. Now, we could, we could go way down deep in the rabbit hole with this one. But ultimately, when, when Jesus is ransoming us, is when, when Jesus is, is accomplishing his atoning work, he's taking everything that's separated and he's bringing it back together as one. So ultimately, our relationship with God, that's severed because of our desire, our preference to really live apart from his presence. God is bringing that back together as one. In our relationships with each other, the brokenness that we often experience, the ways that we control each other, try to manipulate each other, do violence to one another, right? Even to not find another person interesting and and, and really at the core can be an act of violence just to write someone off quickly, right? Or every time I just quickly label someone, that conservative, that liberal, um, that's an act of violence, Every time I just quickly apply a label, rather than, than even as Carissa had mentioned, you know, trying to notice this is a person with a name and a story, and maybe there's more going on here. So that the separation then that we experience with one another, the atoning work of Christ is bringing that back together. The separation we feel in our own lives just from life events that we go through, losses that we experience, Um, despair that's present, hopelessness, all of that. Um, In some ways, the atoning work of Christ allows all of our experience, the good, the bad, the ugly, the hurtful, the brokenness, it allows it to all somehow coexist. And God is doing something in our lives through that. So the atoning work of Christ, it's, it's bringing all of it together and then inviting us to move from spending all kinds of oppositional energy. How do I push all of this away? Instead to what is God inviting me into? How can I be a part of this atoning work of Christ? Matthew 21, we know the story well, but Jesus comes riding into Jerusalem. Verse 1, as they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethphage on the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples saying to them, go to the village ahead of you and at once you will find a donkey tied there with her colt by her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, say that the Lord needs them and he will send them right away. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Say to daughter Zion, see your king comes to you gentle and riding on a donkey and on a colt the foal of a donkey. The disciples went and did as Jesus had instructed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and placed their cloaks on them for Jesus to sit on. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road, while others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. The crowds that went ahead of him and those that followed shouted, Hosanna to the Son of David! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord! Hosanna in the highest heaven! And when Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, Who is this? The crowds answered, This is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. Now let's just kind of sit in the context of what's going on right here. There's a ton of oppositional energy that's present in the midst of this story. 
All right, there's something beautiful going on in the sense that this king is coming in in a different kind of way than the kings and the rulers and those in authority at that present day would have come riding into a city. But there's a ton of angsty oppositional energy that's going on. All right, the the Israelites at this time living in um, Jerusalem, uh, ultimately under Roman control, and before that, controlled by Greeks and Persians and Assyrians and Babylonians, they were, they were tired of it. They, they were done with that, that set of circumstances, those people that were present there. Um, and so these followers wanted deliverance from Rome. They wanted deliverance from Rome, but let's be honest, they wanted deliverance from Rome in a sense so that they could become Rome, Right? Because isn't that what we all want, right? To really be setting the course, dictating the circumstances, being in control, having power in our hands. They had been living under foreign oppressors for 500 years, and they were done with it. 200 years before this event, they recalled this um, other political leader of theirs, Judas Maccabeus, who had come riding in, and at that time, people were shouting, Hosanna, and they were waving palm branches, Because Judas Maccabeus had done this wonderful work of driving out pagan enemies, right? And they were expecting that maybe this Messiah would do the same thing. They were convinced that this Messiah was about securing their prominence, their safety, their freedom, their comfort, removing everything and everyone that keeps them from experiencing that. This incredible oppositional energy that they were pouring out in the midst of their cries, in the midst of even what seems to be these beautiful acts of worship. They're shouting out, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Now, they knew what they were doing there because that phrase actually comes from Psalm 118. And in Psalm 118, it's a celebration of how God drives out the enemies of the Israelites. Because, yes, they find blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord in Psalm 118. But listen to these other words that are found in Psalm 118. All the nations surrounded me. But in the name of the Lord, I cut them down. Right? I strike you down. Yeah, it's just like beautiful Star Wars moment, you know? In the name of the Lord, I cut them down. They surrounded me on every side, but in the name of the Lord, I cut them down. They swarmed around me like bees, but they were consumed as quickly as burning thorns. In the name of the Lord, I cut them down. So let's be honest. These people, and they're crying out, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. There was a lot going on there. There's a lot of angsty, oppositional energy that's at work under the surface. Get rid of these people and these circumstances that keep me from being comfortable, that keep me from having it my way. Um, Matthew, as this gospel is written, he quotes from Zechariah. Um, This moment where rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. Shout, daughter Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you righteous and victorious, lowly and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Now that's verse 9 of Zechariah 9. The very next verse, which isn't quoted here in Zechariah, is this. God says, I will take away the chariots from Ephraim. It's really just another word for kind of that region of Israel, one of the tribes of Israel. I will take away the chariots from Ephraim and the war horses from Jerusalem, and the battle bow will be broken. And I will proclaim peace. 
So notice what's happening here. Um, yeah, Jesus is going to kind of disarm the angsty oppositional energy. But, but who's he looking to disarm first? Those who claim to be his followers. Enough. Enough of the oppositional energy. Uh, and let's be honest, all of us were tempted this week, right? It's always before us, right? Pick a side, choose an issue, who irritates you, what needs to go in your life, what circumstances need to, to stop, what circumstances need to be changed, you know? We can pour all kinds of energy into all of that. But Jesus is saying, look, I, I'm, I'm going to bring you peace, and I'm going to bring you purpose, and I'm going to give you an invitation, but it's going to require you to stop spending your energy here. Because Mosaic, we only have so much energy to spend. So let's not spend it here. Let's spend our energy here. What kind of person is God in Christ inviting you to be in the midst of this world? Uh, This Messiah, he rides in from the east on a donkey. Other rulers of the day would have rode in from the west, prated with their armies riding on a war horse. Jesus is doing something very different. And in the midst of that, the people are laying down their cloaks, they're shouting their hosannas, which maybe begs us to ask the question, how am I laying down my cloak for Jesus, saying, yes, Jesus, thank you, thank you for what you've done, Jesus, thank you, thank you, but at the same time, like, still having all of this angsty oppositional energy at work in us. Um, and therefore keeping us from stepping into the invitation that's before us. This is what we have to stop and pause and consider. Um, there, was a, there was a cyclical pattern, right, of just oppositional energy that was in full force up to this time. I mean, empires had come in and just another empire would come in and take over another one. Another one would come in and take over another one. And, and Jesus, he, he really, he breaks the cycle, He's breaking the cycle for God's people and saying, enough of this cycle. It's going to end here so that we can actually become something else. So that we can begin to cultivate something new and different. So how might a reimagined Holy Week ransom us today to live fully human as God's children? As we wrap up, let me just share a few things that maybe we can consider. And I would love for you to kind of add to the list as you go throughout your week. Jesus reveals that the battle is between people like us and people like us. We, we tend to live our lives where we think the real battle is between people like us and people like them. It's just simply not true. At the core of who we are, and this goes back to the atonement, right? This 12th century Middle English word that at its root, right? The etymology of that word, all right? For all of you English people out there, the etymology of this word actually means kind of this bringing that which was separated back together is one. So that's happening in our relationship with God, but that's also happening in our relationship with each other, and it's happening in the ways that we interact with the brokenness and and the despair of the world around us. It all belongs. It all belongs, and somehow we're being invited in the midst of something to cultivate something new. So the real battle is between people like us and people like us. So we can just kind of, we can just stop spending oppositional energy. Um... 
Jesus frees us from spending energy in oppositional ways. And, and as a result, um, this allows us to really kind of like high-five and just hug people into invitation, right? I mean, when we stop spending energy in oppositional ways, we're like freed up to actually just say, hey, tell me more about your life. I just, I, I'm gonna, I want to spend time creating a table, I want to spend time actually maybe even just getting to know more of the stories of the people who I live with every day, the people who I go to school with every day, the people I work with every day, um, because they're being invited into something too. So it just allows an opportunity to just really kind of high-five, hug people and say, there's an invitation that's before us. Jesus is breaking this cyclical pattern that's been going on for century after century after century, and there's an opportunity for something new. Uh, Jesus delivers us from the forces at work under both the enemy, the oppressor, and us. There are forces at work in each and every person that really ultimately want to um, allow us to really kind of tend to what's going to build our own comfort, our own preferences, our own kingdom. Jesus... He delivers us from those forces that are at work. Fourth, Jesus breaks the cycle of oppositional energy that always recreates itself. Oppositional energy will always recreate itself. Every time we set ourselves up against something, all right? Maybe it's something that we feel like God is inviting us into, right? We're saying, God, I'm going to walk away from that. Maybe it's um, a person that we're opposed to. Maybe it's something that's happening in our lives that we just, we wish it weren't there and we wish we could drive it away. Oppositional energy always recreates itself. It just kind of feeds on itself, right? It's just this monster that keeps growing and growing and growing. And the more that we pour into it, the more we feed it. And Jesus breaks that. What the cross does, you guys, what the cross does is the cross demonstrates that the only real true Christian way to deal with all of the oppositional energy at work in the world um, is to take it into yourself, as Jesus did, to take all of that oppositional energy into yourself and let it die there. Right? The games that we play of trying to push things away, fighting situations, fighting people, all of it. Just, instead, we take it into ourselves and just let it die there and stop fighting it. We find that this monster stops growing and we experience this beautiful invitation before us. Fifth, Jesus invites his followers into a new exodus into the true, the good, and the beautiful, into unknown possibilities. Jesus' followers were invited to step into these unknown possibilities before us as Jesus invites us into um, really being people who are striving for bringing things together, right? Bringing people together, opening ourselves up to God's presence. God, what are you doing in my life? opening ourselves up to both the good and the ugly that we experience in our lives, saying somehow this all belongs. I don't have to fight it and oppose it and push it away. But if I can somehow learn to accept it, 
um, and step into the invitation that God has for me, he's going to do something in the midst of that. So Mosaic, Palm Sunday, so much angsty oppositional energy that's at work, right? And let's be honest, it's fun to like poke the bear in our world, right? It's fun to feed the bear. It's fun to poke the inner bear and feed the inner bear. But like that, that only recreates itself and this monster just keeps growing. Let's do something more true and good and beautiful. Let's step into the invitation that's before us, whatever it is. And rather than trying to oppose all of those things that we wish weren't there, people, circumstances, whatever it is, allow them to exist. And in the midst of that, we cry out, Hosanna, God, Jesus, save us. Save us because somehow through your atoning work at the, at the cross, it all belongs. You're, you're, you're bringing it all together as one and you're doing some deeper purpose that I don't understand. But help me step into that deeper purpose. What an incredible opportunity for us as a church, guys. Let's reimagine the events of this week. So, Mosaic, as we um, prepare to close, um, as you come to these tables this morning, as you take the bread, as you dip it into the cup, um, just know that there is incredible opportunity um, as you step into the invitations that Jesus has for you. Pour your energy there. Spend your energy there. Um, Open yourself up to that possibility. Jesus is no stranger to the cost and the pain and the weight of that. Um, Jesus is going to fully enter into the cost and the pain and the weight of that this week. God always takes the first step. And then he invites us to come and take those next steps uh, along with him. So let me pray for us. And um, God, we, we thank you for opportunities to, to once again allow the Jesus story uh, to be brought before us. Uh, maybe for some of us, um, it's still very new. Maybe for a lot of us, Um, It's been something that's been a part of our life from as early as we can remember. But whatever the case, uh, we pray that this week would be a week of really reimagining the Jesus story, realizing that this atoning work of Christ, why did Jesus have to die? Um, There is an incredible depth and mystery to that. And there's a beautiful forgiveness of sin There is a beautiful freedom that comes from not having to be weighed down with guilt and shame. Uh, But there are endless invitations before us um, to step into the the good, the beautiful, the true. Um, Yeah, so God, um, do a work in this moment, we pray. We're incredibly mindful of how moments of stillness and silence um, are not necessarily our friend. (laughs) It's difficult to be still and quiet. But God, we welcome it now as we approach this table. We welcome your presence that's here with us. And we welcome uh, hearing once again the invitation that you have for us. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.
Let me just invite us into some movements together. Maybe over the next few days, um, look for an opportunity to share in relationship with somebody else. How is God calling you to kind of stop spending oppositional energy in order to step into spending your energy into something productive that he's inviting you into? Good Friday, um, this Friday. Uh, just being a, a mobile setup church, we're, we're not going to gather together on Good Friday. Um, I struggled with that a little bit as a, as a pastor. But at the same time, God, I think, specifically spoke to me, and I want to share it with you. Um, Good Friday ultimately is the, um, the pinnacle point of loneliness and loss and despair. It's the pinnacle point of loneliness. So I'm okay with us not gathering on Good Friday. In fact, I encourage you on Good Friday, um, don't be afraid to take a walk. Go spend an hour alone somewhere and just feel the weight of whatever, whatever just really stinks right now. Just feel it. Don't be afraid to shed some tears over it. Don't push it away. Don't be afraid to beat the air. Don't be afraid to stomp heavy on the ground, whatever it is. Um, Give yourself that freedom. And know that that Jesus has gone there before you. And and sometimes things aren't okay. (laughs) They're not okay. But the beautiful thing about things being not okay is that's also a very true reminder that that's not the end. It's not the end. Because in the end, things are not just okay. They're good, they're beautiful, they're true. So feel it on Good Friday, feel it. Um, And sometimes Good Friday and, and Holy Saturday, they just seem to linger on. Sometimes the events of Good Friday, they just, they travel with us for long periods of time. And even sometimes Easter Sunday comes and you're like, why am I still feeling the pain of what happened on Friday? And uh, Easter Sunday being on April Fool's Day this year, I love it. Oh my gosh, there's so, m- there's so much fun in that. Because Easter laughter, it's, it's postponed laughter, right? It's almost like, forget it, joke's on me, you know. Forget this God thing, I'll just go and do it. We're all there is, make the most of it. Um, But that's the beautiful thing about Easter laughter. It's a postponed laughter, but oh, we will engage in it one day. And we're going to, we're going to taste it a little bit on Easter, but we won't rush there yet. Um, Because we need to, we need to feel the weight, the loneliness, the bitterness, the despair of of Friday's events. And whatever the, the good Friday loss is that's happening in your life right now, go ahead and feel it. So, all right, I'm done preaching. Whew, because we got to move on with our day. Um, Mosaic, we love you. We're glad that you're here this morning, and uh, we hope to see you next Sunday at Shea Hay. Have a great day, everybody.